So stories are immensely powerful, aren't they? Um, Harry Potter, Sherlock, Night Manager. We only have to say the names and they're, they're in our minds, aren't they? Uh, Rob and uh, Helen Titchener, story, even in the Archers, put domestic abuse, domestic violence right back into the discussion of the uh, situation in the life of the nation. Stories are powerful and they draw us in. And let's not such, forget such uh, huge literary classics as uh, Enid Blyton Five on Brexit Island <coughs> joining a series called Five Go Gluten Free, Five Go on a Strategy Away Day and Five Give Up the Booze. Immensely powerful in stories. They attract our imaginations and draw us in. And family stories are particularly powerful, aren't they? Jean's father uh, was involved in Dunkirk, uh, but he never spoke about it. For years and years and years, he would refuse to talk about it. And it was only when our son Tim uh, was doing a school project on Dunkirk uh, that he asked his grandfather... Uh, what really happened, Grandfather? And the stories began to tell. And they were immensely moving. And family stories particularly help us to know, don't we, where we stand in, in, in the course of things, where we fit in. Uh, often there are, are, are bits of our family story that actually we don't want to talk about. Uh, there are bits of our family stories which we're uncomfortable with. But nonetheless, they're in our minds and we know where we fit in relationship to them. Today, it's wonderful that Ella's story, the story of her life, becomes part of our story, the story of our church. Her story and our story as a church come together today and will be there forever. Henry's story is part of our story today. Henry has come with his favourite dinosaur, and not a saurus. What? George, sorry. George, well, it was Henry was the name of the dinosaur, actually. <laughs> but George has brought his dinosaur, not a saurus, Henry, to church this morning. And I make no link between dinosaurs and the esteemed members of our congregation this morning, because we are the sort of church which welcomes dinosaurs and are part of our life uh, this morning. Stories, you see, are immensely, immensely important. And the Gospels, aren't they, are the story of Jesus. They're his story above all. But as part of that story, Jesus tells stories. Because he knows that stories draw us in. He knows that stories are immensely powerful. The stories he told are actually uh, often about nothing special, which is why they're so accessible to us. They're about vineyards and sheep and wise and foolish investments and good and bad managers and bad employees. And they open doors to us in, in our minds. But the real reason why they have such power is because it is Jesus himself that tells them. What does it mean that Jesus is telling this story. It's not just the story itself, it's that Jesus is telling it. Why does he do that? How does it engage with us? Today's reading, which we're about to hear, is, is one of the most familiar stories of Jesus. Well, 
what does it mean that Jesus tells this story uh, this morning? The background bit to it is, is that Jesus is being heavily criticised by the religious leaders of his time. He's being heavily criticised for spending too much time with the wrong sort of people. Being heavily criticised for spending time with people that they disapproved of and thought would have no place in the kingdom of God. Jesus, why are you spending so much time there? And in response, Jesus tells this story. So as you hear it read just now, uh, this morning by Brenda, uh, what does it mean that Jesus tells this story under that criticism? Uh, Let's try and hear it again. Very familiar, but let's try and hear it again as though Jesus himself is telling it to us this morning. Brenda, come and read to us, if, if, if you would. So today's reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there was, a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for uh, reading that story so powerfully and so uh, beautifully this morning. Uh, So what do you think? Two years years ago, two weeks ago or so, uh, Debbie was talking, wasn't she, about Jesus the teacher. And she said one of the things about Jesus' teaching is is that we need to share it together. We need to learn uh, from one another. Uh, So in that uh, spirit of learning and sharing together, um, I took uh, this sermon to our home group about ten days ago, our wonderful Thursday night home group. And I said, look, I've got to do this sermon on the prodigal son. Let's do it together. Uh, What are we going to get out of it together uh, that we can share with the uh, congregation? What's your advice? Uh, Keep it short. (laughs) Uh, Definitely short. Okay, thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, What's your other advice? Uh, Not too long. Uh, Definitely not too long. So feeling only slightly wounded, uh, I pressed on. Ask people where this story draws them in. And the conversation flowed. And I'm going to share with you some of the things that uh, our group said. And as you hear them, how do you react? Uh, What do you make of the story you've heard this morning? What do you make of of their comments upon them. Uh, Why did the father agree to that with the son? Uh, He must have known it was going to cause trouble. It was just too easy for the younger son. He's got away with it. I've got tremendous sympathy for the older brother. Why didn't the father tell him earlier how much he mattered and how much he loved them? It's so easy to take people for granted and not to tell them how much they matter to us. And why didn't the older son say earlier that he loved his father? The father killed the fatted calf. Not much good news there for vegetarians, is there? (laughs) Our group has a very mischievous sense of humour. But then we got a little bit deeper. Why did Jesus tell this story? Because he wanted to say that no one is beyond God's love. God runs, the image of the Father running, God running to meet people, put the best robe on them, celebrate. There's always a way back home. God never gives up on anyone. Never mind where you've been or what you've done. God never gives up on you. He's there waiting for you to come home to him. No one is outside God's love, they said. Everyone can find the way home, be welcomed by God's love. And we must learn never to write 
anyone off. Uh, our group was quite strong on, on the risk that the father had taken. Why did he? Why did he say yes? Why did he give in to that request? Why did he put all that in the hands of a, of a, of a son that he knew had got inherent faults and weaknesses? Why did he do it? Why didn't he just say no? But actually, isn't that the risk that God takes from, with each one of us? D- doesn't he put his inheritance into our hands? Doesn't he put the wealth of creation? Doesn't he put all that it means to be human? Doesn't, it mean, doesn't he put all our creativity and wonder into our hands and say, here you are, here you are, my inheritance is yours. Uh, what are you going to do with it? And like the older son, the younger son, we can say, thank you, God, I'm off. Bye-bye. I'll take my inheritance and you'll never see me again. That's the risk that God takes with each one of us. He freely gives all the benefits of his creation and love into our hands and says, now, what are you going to do with it? Our group kind of went further. Are we willing, therefore, as people to be as generous with our love with one another as the Father is? Or are we more interested in actually simply telling off the prodigal? (laughs) How deep is our sense of being forgiven? How full is our thankfulness? How willing are we to rejoice with others when we hear how God has been good to them? Put the best robe on him. Celebrate. Was dead, now alive? How grudging are we? Or are we secretly resentful? Because maybe we don't think God has been that good to us. So easy to begrudge newcomers because they seem to get all the attention. And on that in our group, on that night in our group, we we felt, I think, the unsettling love of God. As one of our groups said the elder brother needs to learn to forgive too. And it was great stuff. And it was helpful stuff. And one rock in uh, particular kind of uh, rang bells uh, with me. One member of our group said, do you know, I've always been a bit envious of people who have really gone, gone to the depths, really, really hit a low point, really, really messed up their lives and God has found them and brought them back. I've always been a bit envious of people like that because forgiveness always seems to mean so much more to people like that. And I guess in brackets, always seems, forgiveness always seems to be so much more important for them uh, than maybe it is for me. And that kind of stuck with me. Because this story of the, of the prodigal son is actually a life-changing story. People's lives, many people's lives, have been changed particularly by this story. Uh, maybe up on the screen, uh, we can have uh, a, a picture. It's quite a famous picture. It's a picture painted by Rembrandt, and it is called The Return of the Prodigal. And there's the father, there's the repentant son kneeling in rags 
the father reaching out his hands of love and there's the elder brother on the right hand side just watching. And this picture and this story particularly had a a huge uh, impact on an important Christian thinker and writer called Henri Nguyen. Now he was already an important uh, academic. He lectured and taught around the world. Uh, He was a priest. Uh, He was a campaigner for peace and justice. And he'd just come back from working to oppose war and violence in Central and South America, exhausted. And he saw this painting and he heard in his head that story of the prodigal son. And it changed his whole life. When I saw the tender way in which the father touched the shoulders of his young son and held him close to his heart, I felt deeply that I was the lost son and I wanted to return, as he did, to be embraced as he was. And he goes on to say that that for a long time that was enough for him, just to know that he was welcomed back. That it wasn't what he did, it wasn't all the great things he'd accomplished so far. It was simply that God loved him and laid his tender hands upon him, even though inside he knew he was in rags. Got an, uh, an established reputation, but inside he felt in rags. And the hands of God reached out and touched him and held him. And he knew how important that was. But then a conversation occurred later on, a few uh, months later on, and, and, and someone said to him, but Henri, actually you're not the younger son, actually that you're the older son. And he writes this, when I was six years old, I always wanted to become a priest and never changed my mind. I was born, baptised, confirmed and ordained in the same church and had always been obedient to my parents, my teachers, my bishops and my God. I never ran away from home, never wasted my time and money on sensual pursuits and had never gotten lost in debauchery and drunkenness. For in my entire life, I had been responsible, traditional and homebound. But with all that, in fact, I have been just as lost as the younger son. I suddenly saw myself in a completely new way. I saw my jealousy, my anger, my touchiness, my doggedness and sullenness, and most of all, my subtle self-righteousness. I saw how much of a complainer I was and how much of my thinking and feeling was ridden with resentment. For time it became impossible to see how I could ever thought of myself as the younger son. I was the older son for sure, but just as lost as the younger brother, even though I had stayed home all my life. And so as the elder brother, he came to a new relationship with God and a new understanding of himself. But the story doesn't end there, because then he had another conversation And actually, he felt that God was saying to him, look, you've understood a bit what it means to be the younger son. You've understood what it means to be the elder brother. But now I want you to understand a bit more about what it means to be the father. And Henry Henri Nuance felt from that moment on that God was calling him to a new ministry. 
that he himself should reach out with the same hands of love that have been laid on his life and touch the lives of those for whom the world had little time. And so he went to work in a community called Daybreak, which was full of people who had very great disabilities and emotional and mental needs. And he gave his life to the ministry in that community, reaching out, as he says, to other people with the love of God that he had himself experienced. When he first saw the painting, he said, I had little idea how much I would have to live what I then saw. I was in awe at the place where Rembrandt brought me. He led me from the kneeling, dishevelled young son to the standing, bent-over old father, from the place of being blessed to the place of seeking to be a blessing to others. As I look at my own ageing hands, I know that they have been given to me to stretch out toward all who suffer, to rest upon the shoulders of all who come, and to offer the blessing that emerges from the immensity of God's love. A life-changing story for one particular story. So I asked again our group what it would be today that people would find helpful. And once again they said people would find it really helpful if it wasn't too long. But then our group went on to say what really happened, what really interested them is, is, is what happened next. How did this father and these two sons go on from here? How were they all changed by these events? What difference did it make for the future? And isn't it true that so often in these stories Jesus leaves the ending open? And why does he do that? Isn't it because he wants to draw us in? And isn't it because you and I tell the story of how the story ends? We don't just hear the story, we become part of the story and we make the story our own. A couple of weekends ago, uh, Bishop Andrew, our own Darson Bishop, as I think nearly all Darson bishops do, uh, spent the weekend with the Queen at, at Sandringham and uh, is invited to preach at Sandringham Church on the Sunday morning. And his sermon's on, on the website, it's worth reading. And as part of the sermon, he shared his own life story, how his two heroes are his grandparents, Mary and Alec, and who faced enormous challenges as missionaries in Christ, and they came back to heading up Mild May Mission Hospital during the Blitz uh, in the war. And Bishop Andrews said, this is one of the prayers that I pray, inspired by them. Lord, help me to see what you're doing today and how I might join in. How might my story be part of God's story. Last Sunday we heard about miracles. And here's the, here's the real miracle that you and I have both known. That God's love has, has come to us. Heaven and earth is one of the definitions that Debbie used about a miracle. Heaven touching earth. But heaven's touched earth in your life and my life. We're the miracle. And the miracle is that we can reach out and bring heaven to earth, touching other people's lives too. We don't just hear the story, 
We make the story. We become part of the story. So here's the thing. How, how can we be more the sort of church where both brothers feel equally loved and valued? How can we be more the sort of church where the prodigals of this world actually feel welcomed and feel the touch of God's love on their lives? How can we celebrate together God's equal love for us all? I love this story. It moves me and it excites me. I love the picture of God's love and God's kingdom that it, that it sets out. And I don't just want to hear that story. I want to be part of it. I want to get inside it. I want to be part of all this great story that Jesus tells in this story this morning. And I want it to shape my life and make me that sort of person too who is part of this story. It may only be the tiniest, tiniest little bit of the story. But hey, do I want to be part of it. I asked the group, how should we uh, end? And they said end fairly quickly. And... um, they said, why don't you end with a party? <laughs> why don't you fill the church with balloons? Why don't you have a hog roast? But I failed because we haven't done that this morning. But you get the message. The default mode of the church is celebration. Where prodigals are welcomed home. Where the best robes are put on them. Where there is that party about it because they've come home. And are now back at home in the family. A kingdom to celebrate that goes from pigsty to party. And I love that as a description of our church. So Jesus tells the story. Jesus is the story. But you and I finish the story and make real what happens next as the story goes on. Lord, help me to see what you're doing today and how I might join in. Amen.